Welcome to Wholesale Change. It's the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for wholesale change agents like my business partner, Jonathan Bine, PhD. How you doing, JB? I'm well, Ian. How are you? I'm really, really doing well. This was a rebroadcast because we had a big technical problem the first time ever in almost 100 shows of Wholesale Change where it didn't work. And we figured it was behind the scenes technology issue. So thank you for coming back. And thanks to our guest, Klaus Werner, who will be on in a couple of minutes. We're really excited to have him on the show. Uh, it's going to be a good conversation, huh, buddy? Preview for the, the conference coming up in October. I know. I know. Speaking of which... On October 3rd through 5th at the Chicago Marriott O'Hare, we are thrilled to announce the first ever conference about AI for the distribution industry. Applied AI for distributors will be held on those dates. We're delighted to welcome Zach Cass, head of go-to-market for OpenAI, the makers of ChatGPT, as one of our keynote speakers. My buddy Jonathan there is going to do a keynote speech, and so is Klaus Werner, our guest today. We have a panel of industry executives talking about the opportunities and risks of AI and other keynote speakers and general sessions to help you uh, prepare your AI roadmap. Uh, the number of technology companies who are coming to show their AI capabilities is astonishing. I think we're at about 20 sponsors now, which is fantastic. And there's an exhibit hall and presentations that are all about how you can apply AI today to make your company better. Jonathan, it's interesting to me that we have leading distributors who are sending five, six, seven people and a lot of other distributors who are sending no one. How can you not participate in the first ever AI conference for distributors? We suggest you sign up and uh, go to distributionstrategy.com for more information. This is some of the sponsors. As I mentioned, we got a bunch more. Wholesale Change is also brought to you by our own product customer experience, RX. Smart distributors know that increasing loyalty leads to growth in both revenue and profitability. Furthermore, increasing loyalty depends on being able to measure customer satisfaction and improve the customer experience. DSG's Customer Experience RX provides a new and exciting way to measure overall customer satisfaction, but more importantly, to understand the drivers of customer satisfaction and customer experience. If you're using Net Promoter Score or are looking for a way to systematically improve customer satisfaction and customer experience, Please reach out to us. Jonathan, have you ever seen uh, a better received software product or a data product in your career? People are really taking us up on this thing and it's delivering even better results than we expected. Yeah. It, it's And the survey responses from customers are much higher than we anticipated. Absolutely. They really Absolutely. want to provide their input. Yep. And thank you so much to White Cup for sponsoring today's episode of Wholesale Change. White Cup believes distributors win more with data-driven technology because the right technology increases revenues and builds sustainable profits. Distributors need tools that use data to make selling smarter, faster, and easier for their teams. White Cup CRM, BI, and pricing solutions are built specifically for distributors, provide access to intuitive automation, and are integrated with your ERP, set your sales team up for success with White Cup. Visit whitecupsolutions.com to schedule a free one-hour sales consult consultation with a team of experts to evaluate your current sales process and talk through actionable steps you can take to make changes that will increase revenue and profits using data analysis techniques and more. Now, I uh, facilitated a panel of White Cup BI users at their last user conference and 
man, they were saying things like, I couldn't do my job without Wikup Analytics. It was pretty impressive. It's really gaining market share very rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Yep. All right. Excellent. Let's bring in our guest. We're delighted to have Klaus Werner, who's going to be one of the keynote speakers at our conference. He's going to give you a little bit of a heads up on what he's going to be talking about. Klaus, why don't you walk us through your background and then we'll get into what every CEO should know about AI. Absolutely. And uh, good morning, or I guess uh, good afternoon for some of you. Uh, it is a pleasure being part of this uh, this uh, podcast today, and thank you for having me, Ian. Um, just to give you a little background about myself, most recently, I was uh, Senior Vice President and Head of E-Commerce and Digital Transformation at an industrial distributor called Global Industrial. Prior to that, I was the Chief Digital Officer at HD Supply, and I've worked in a variety of di different industries. I've worked in grocery, I've worked in telecommunications, I've worked in retail as well. I've worked at Lowe's Home Improvement. And I've been really focusing on helping companies uh, move through their digital transformations. I've been helping the private equity firms. I've been helping a couple of startups. And here I am, to, uh, delighted to be here and talk to everybody here. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, and uh, we have, I know we're going to probably get a lot of questions from the audience. If you do have questions for Klaus or any of us, please use the Q&A button and uh, we'll get you in queue um, this is a hot topic, so I'm expecting a lot of questions. I'd probably get in earlier if I were you. Klaus, uh, the name of your talk at uh, the conference, or, the, or what, what we're going to cover today, I should say, is what every CEO should know about AI. You know, that's a big topic. AI is such a profound and sweeping technology. How did you pick what you're going to talk about? Why don't you give us an overview of uh, of, of your, your content? Yeah, you know, one of the things about AI that I'd like to talk about is first and foremost, AI is not a new and shiny object. AI has been around for a long time, right? It's now just getting the press and there's a lot of excitement about it. But this is something that has been around for a while, but the technology has reached a point that is going to be truly transformative. And every CEO needs to be aware of AI. Every CEO needs to go out there and, and start talking about it and getting teams uh, together to start exploring on how they can use it in their business. And AI is going to be transformative. The same way that the truck uh, came into play and where 80% of the farm labor was uh, people, uh, the truck went ahead and displaced a, a bunch of farm workers, right? And what it did is it took away the, the mundane and elevated the skill sets of people out there. You talk about Google and Yahoo coming in and, and moving the yellow pages out of the way. It was a more efficient way of finding things, right? And we could talk about all of the stories, um, you know, Uber and Amazon and everything else. But at the end of the day, AI is going to be completely transformative. And it's going to impact you as a leader. It's going to impact your people. And how are you going to coach them through this? It's going to impact every single discipline in your business, from customer service to supply chain to human resources to recruiting to e-commerce. It runs the gamut. So I'm going to be talking about this. I'm going to be talking about all of these areas and leaving the audience with key takeaways to bring back to their businesses on how they can basically take a thoughtful and disciplined approach to attacking AI by testing and learning, but also not thinking that it's going to, it's going to be a silver bullet that's going to fix up. It sounds like it might be a series of silver bullets or bullets of some kind, right? Because it's not it's not addressing just one thing, right? You you mentioned it expands the the entire gamut. How do you think about where people might start with AI? 
No, good question. And I'm going to do um, some somewhat of a top 10 list type thing. And I'm going to use an analogy, right? You you sometimes think of cybersecurity, right? And, and then just hear me out on this. Cybersecurity, everybody thinks it's the responsibility of the CIO. It's not. It's everybody's problem. Because the majority of breaches actually happen through email and through other ways that people are getting into companies that is not going to be the CIO, but it would be somebody in merchandising, marketing, supply chain, or whatever the case may be. AI is also everybody's responsibility. I think that everybody in the business needs to think about it. If you are the VP of recruiting, how is that the AI going to change the way that you identify candidates and bubble them to the top? If you are the leader that runs customer service and customer experience, how are you going to use AI to take care of the biggest problems, uh, to make sure that the machine can, can take care of the mundane and move the more complex problems to the more experienced reps to be able to handle that. If you are in sales, uh, how are you going to use AI in order for you to automate some of the sales processes and make sure that you are as productive as possible? If you're in e-commerce, uh, how are you going to use it to provide customers with a personalized experience and make sure that you are driving incremental revenue and upsell and cross-sell throughout? So the idea behind it is that AI is not the CEO's problem, it's not the CIO's problem. It's not the, it's everybody's problem to solve. And it's exciting because everybody will have a hand on this. It's not like other technologies that are only limited to two or three people or two or three functions in the organization. Everybody, no matter who you are, you can use AI in your job and you can bring ideas forward to make your business better. So uh, given your background, Klaus, and Jonathan, you have a PhD in computer science and AI, I'm, I I'm feel like I should just sit back and listen. <laughs> well, there, there, there was another hype cycle of AI about 35 years ago. I and mean, if we look at the Gartner hype cycle, you know, peak of expectation, profit, disillusionment. Uh, to your point, Klaus, this is not new. And even the founders of AI were doing stuff back in the 50s. Um, you know, with computers that ran at the speed of an abacus. So, um, but they were already thinking about these ideas. There were there were four founders of, of AI, Marvin Minsky, John McCarthy, Herb Simon, and Alan Newell. And they were thinking about these ideas even before the compute power was available. And in that first hype cycle of AI, we were we were still dreaming about having enough compute power. And to your point, Klaus, I mean, that that power is here now. That hype cycle was in the mid 80s. So we have probably 20 million times as much compute power as we did in the 80s, right? If you look at, if you play Moore's Law out over th that period of time, 37, 38 years, whatever the, the number is, we have 20 million times as much compute power now as we did in that first hype cycle. And so that there's been that shift from symbolic computing to numeric computing. Absolutely. And, and some of this doesn't have to be incredibly high tech, right? I mean, a big element of AI is um, advanced analytics. That could be as simple as going out there and uh, scoring your entire customer base. And based on usage patterns, you can predict uh, what this cost each customer is going to buy in the next quarter. And then you can set all your marketing and all of your CRM systems to rally around that and you can anticipate to get anywhere between seven to 15% incremental revenue by using that data. I've done that with some partners in the past. So that's, that's, that's an idea. You know, you can, uh, you can serve up uh, customer segmentation to your sales reps uh, so that they know where in the, 
the customer lifecycle the each individual customer is and you can treat them just differently if they're a loyalist right and they're, they're one of your best customers and they have a 300 dollars problem you're just going to give them the 300 but if they're a fader or a win back you may ask a lot more questions before you do that so AI does not need to start with this high-tech servers, bring in the CIO and bring in all these high-priced consultants to help you. You, you can, you can uh, crawl, walk, run when you look at AI, and you can just take it a, a few baby steps at a time. So if we, if we use another tech analogy, uh, edge versus core, you're saying it doesn't have to start in the core of the IT function. It can start at the edges of the business, meaning in a department doing a, a specific application. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the fun thing is going to be when, when people can start playing with all kinds of different components, right? You know, you got the AI insights, and then you have mobile, and then you have geofencing, and then you start bringing all these things together. That's when things get really exciting. But, um, but, but that's not, that is AI, but it can, be, it, it can be at all levels of complexity. So you can start getting quick wins early on AI without spending a million dollars and putting a team of 20 people to work on this. You can, you can start very simply uh, in a variety of different ways. So when you talk about start simply, there's a build versus buy issue, right? So the companies that you've worked for most recently are big enough that they could be building some of these things. They could, they could be developing their own analytics, AI capability in-house. It might have a centralized flavor. How do you think about the buy versus build for different size companies? Again, back to how do you start? You know, that's an excellent question. And again, nobody's really an expert on AI because it's such an emerging technology. I'm really excited at the conference in Chicago because there's going to be a lot of uh, partners out there that are going to be uh, pitching their uh, buy solutions, right? But the way I look at it is no different than the way that you've done a build versus buy analysis throughout your entire career, right? No matter the size of the company, um, you should do uh, a business case to determine, you know, what do we want to accomplish? How much would it cost if we pick, um, you know, Acme company to do this for us? And how much would it cost if we build it, uh, have our CIO do an estimate and build it, and then make a deliberate decision of what's the best solution for you? I don't think it's driven by the size of the company. I think it's driven by the size of the opportunity and budgets. I've worked for, you know, I was working at Lowe's, uh, which at the time was like a $50, $60 billion company. We did a build versus buy analysis for some of the things we were building. And I've also worked for billion dollar companies, 1 billion. And we've also done a build versus buy. And, and in, in the case of Lowe's, we bought. In the case of the billion dollar company, we built. Right. So mm. I think it's it's going looking at what you're trying to accomplish, what your budget is, what is the skill set of your internal technology organization? Some technology organizations have very high development skill sets and they have offshore resources and such. Others are not. And they're more accustomed to integrations. And that's when you may want to buy instead. So it, it can be driven by a majority of, or by a million of different things, I think. What kind of capability? So. For any particular thing, there's a build versus buy decision. What right. kind of capability does a company need? I think the first one, the most important, and I'd love to hear your opinion as well, but it all starts with the data. Mm -hmm. What is the quality of your data? Mm -hmm. And what is the accessibility of your data? Um, you know, to me, to me, the, everything drives data. Uh, they, I, I'm going to repeat what I just said. 
data, I believe, drives everything. Data is like the oxygen that drives businesses, right? And drives business growth. So you need to be able to have your product data, your transaction data, your customer data, clean, easily accessible. The, the cleaner and the easier to access the information is, the, the, the better your AI solution is going to be because it needs to be informed. For instance, I was uh, meeting with a bunch of retailers uh, last week and uh, I was talking to a specific retailer from the Midwest and they were talking about something they wanted to do, but the quality of their data was not good. They didn't really have good customer data. They had good transactional data, but they didn't know who that person was. And it was not going to yield a good output as it pertained to predictive and prescriptive analytics. So data is key, data is gold. And I believe that's the first one. What are your thoughts? I'm curious, because you've been around this business for a long time. First of all, I think everybody is apologetic about their data, whether it's customer transaction or product data. Second of all, I think in some cases, AI can compensate for data that is less than perfect. Um, that being said, I mean, you're right. If, if you can get good data, that's gold. That's going to drive better, better solutions. Um, but I, I've seen some stuff like, like in the, in the AI based cross sell where literally all they had were SKU numbers. They didn't have product descriptions and this thing significantly outperformed, you know, before having the cross sell, um, solution in there. So I think one of the things about AI is that it is, particularly numeric AI, is that it is resilient to imperfections in the data in a lot of cases. Not always. I mean, there are going to be cases where your data is just not good enough to, to develop a model of some kind, right? You either don't have enough of it or it's too messy. But I think there's going to be also cases where AI will compensate for less than perfect data. And, and this is a word to everybody out there. Again, everybody's apologetic about some aspect of their, some, if not all aspects of their data. I've, I've yet to talk to distributors of, of all sizes who, who doesn't feel like there's something that could be better about their data. You know, I, I, I love what you just said. I think that's extremely insightful, Jonathan. AI can fill in the blanks. Maybe that's the way, maybe that's kind of the way, I, that's what I'm hearing you say. And I'll give you something. I, I love what you just said, and I agree with you, but I just saw something really interesting on Amazon. I was looking at a product, and there was a product review, one single product review that encapsulated 5,000 reviews into a single review, right? Basically, what they did, it saved me a lot of time and told me, basically, out of these 5,000 reviews, these are the 10 things you need to know, and, and wrote it in a review, right? But, I, but also, to your point, if 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 AI can fill in the blanks to your point, you know, maybe we can accelerate. The data may not be as important as it was five or 10 years ago to, to kick off any project. It becomes critical, but not mission critical. Right. Well, and if we can use a actually a neural analogy, right, we can we can kill a few brain cells um, for by whatever pick your mechanism, you know, accident, having a good time at happy hour. Um, you've got some other choices here in Colorado, um, yet our brain can still perform with those with the, with those fewer brain cells. And so, if we use this analogy of how many do we have billions of neurons in our brain, right? So we lose a few neurons. It's kind of like if Amazon or if, if Google loses a few servers. Well, they've got millions of servers. You can still do search. So it is there's redundancy in the models that makes it. Uh, resilient to to failure in some other part of the of the system, if that makes any sense. 
Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So I want to bring us down a level though, because I mean, you guys are experts at this, right? But if you're, you know, uh, someone who hasn't had any exposure to AI, how do you know if your data is good enough? And how do you find the tools to, that will fill in the gaps like you talked about? You know, because the there's everybody's advertising AI technology. I mean, and we know from our own conference recruiting of presenters that some of those companies they aren't ready to, you know, they're, they're working on it, but they aren't ready to, to present AI yet. So, you know, the ones that are presenting on our conference, we vetted, they've got the real AI. Um, but if you're a CEO of a mid-sized distributor and you don't, you know, do you go out and hire an AI expert? You know, do they bring you in Klaus? Do they, do they, you know, uh, just sit down with their, with their technology vendors and potential vendors and ask them and, because they need some kind of a roadmap or strategy to un figure out how to understand the data and how to vet the technology. Let's take the first part of your question, which is, what if the data is not good enough? Well, first of all, I can imagine, and I think Klaus, you're already there. AI can be used to cure the data. Right. So we, one of the uh, potential sponsors of our conference is actually using AI to create a product taxonomy. Product taxonomies, taxonomies are always an issue for distributors, right? Uh, that would be an example of curing the data in the sense. You could imagine it curing transaction data. You know, when, when I see transaction data or customer data, I always see customer data where it says the address is do not call this person. There's always like 10 addresses that say do not call this person. Or there's just like just crazy stuff that gets crammed in there. So I can imagine there's things that cure it. But aside from curing it, I would say if you look at those three areas, transaction, customer, product data, start with the area that's, that you think is best, right? Um, so one of those is going to be further ahead than the others. I mean, if you're looking for a first thing, and one of the things that will happen is when you when you, when you get into to doing things with it, the models that you're working with will tell you something like an R squared, which is, you know, how good the model is. So you'll get feedback from any of the tools that you're using or from the vendors about whether the data is good enough, but start with where, where, where your data is the best. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that um, going back to your original question, Ian, is what does a CEO do? Do they bring in a consultant? Do they bring in a, you know, I think it, it goes back to business fundamentals. And it's like, look at your business, look at your uh, areas of opportunity, look at the problems you're trying to solve. And AI would be one of the tools in the toolbook to do this. It's not like, let's do AI, I don't think it's the answer. It's like, look, our sales are soft. Our conversion rate is, is we're not doing a good job in supply chain um, forecasting uh, for the holidays or for, for, for the season. What is the problem you are really trying to solve and then see if AI can help you rather than the other way around? Because uh, AI can help almost any one of these problems, but uh, I believe that the first step is such, and then take a look at it, that AI as part of it. In some cases, you may need to bring in a consultant. In other cases, your, your your existing vendor may have a solution. In other cases, you might do an RFP and say, or an RFQ, or you want to vet three or four vendors to see which one's going to bring the best solution to market. So that's kind of the way I see it. Um, depending on the company, there's other companies where AI would become part of their mantra. I was coaching a company last week around, you know, you've been doing AI for 15 years, but it's not nowhere on any of your marketing materials. You need to use it. Not, not right. because it's a shiny object, it's because you've been doing this and you're not taking credit for it. So 
in in this person's case, AI is part of their DNA and they're not using the term. Yeah, but I mean, some things are just kind of like no brainers, right? I mean, every distributor benefits from larger transactions, for example, whether that's more units per line or more lines per order. You know, so one of our sponsors is a company called Proton, right? And we hear again and again, people put Proton in and they make, you know, they become more profitable, right? Bigger transactions. And and then there are pricing, you know, so, uh, systems. So we've got, you know, some coming to the conference that, you know, I'm not trying to do too many commercials here, but, you know, Vendavo and Profit Optics and, and you know, and then, and, and, you know, I don't know if we've ever seen a distributor who's put in systems like that and hasn't been more profitable as a result. And those systems are getting smarter and better because of AI. Um, you know, so why wait? Why wait? I mean, you don't really need to put together a strategy to go look at some no-brainer tools like that, right? Correct. And and I think like you use Fandavo, which I think is a price intelligent and competitive pricing engine. And, and, and I mean, those are the types of things that fully benefit from AI, right? Because you want to look at your competitor, you want to look at the, the, the value that a customer puts on, on a product and look at your manufacturing right. costs and come up with a price. A AI can help you solve for a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and White, White Cup is our sponsor today, so I don't want to leave them off the list either because they have, they have a good pricing system. So I probably should stop talking about sponsors. I'm going to have to name them all. Uh, but Klaus, we do have a question uh, from Paul in the audience. Hi, Paul. Uh, and it says, does AI become exponentially more effective the better the data, uh, or ultimately does AI fully compensate for less than optimal data? So what's the delta there? That is an excellent question. I, I think that you can look at it both ways. You know, the better the data, the better the output. But to the point that uh, that we were just talking about earlier, you know, um, AI can cure data. AI fills in the blanks. So so it's a little bit of both. I, I mean, the, the better your data, the, the, maybe what it does, it helps you time to market. But as you as the system learns and becomes stronger and becomes smarter, um, the quality of the underlying data is not going, not going to matter because it will become a self-healing mechanism. The whole ecosystem will self-heal and then everybody will be, will be a parity, right? And um, so I, I think it's, uh, nothing in AI is, is black and white. You're going to get all kinds of shades of gray in a lot of these answers because, uh, yeah. you know, we're all learning, right? So I, I want to raise another issue. In fact, I just wrote a column about this. It published yesterday. It'll go out by email, I think, today. Um, and I think it's about something that CEOs need to prepare for with regard to AI, which is that it's going to cut down, it's going to increase productivity, and they're going to wind up needing less people in certain roles, right? So, you know, fewer analysts, fewer customer service people. And I really dislike what I keep reading on LinkedIn right now, which is don't worry about AI, just learn to use it. You know, your job's not threatened by AI, it's threatened by someone who uses AI better than you do. And AI plus a human being is better than AI alone. Okay, well, that's a bunch of happy talk. Technology costs people jobs, okay? And it's gonna displace people. So I think, you know, look, if you're running a distribution company or you're an executive in a business, you're supposed to make the business more profitable, which means you're going to implement productivity saving technology or productivity building technologies. You're going to lay people off. And I, I think people need to be realistic about that and start, you know, looking at where that's going to happen and prepare for doing that as, you know, compassionately, but as, you know, efficiently as possible. And I, I, I mean, I don't know where you fall on, maybe you disagree with me, but I, I just am tired of 
all this early talk about AI being, it'll be like the first technology ever that doesn't cost millions and millions of jobs. And I think it's going to cost more jobs than any other technology. It, it will cost jobs. I mean, I mean, it takes, it'll take away the mundane and, and, and elevate skill sets and people are going to be responsible to a certain degree to elevate the, the, their, their skill sets. In some cases, um, you know, in some companies, uh, CEOs will invest in their people, right. And help them. In other cases, it's going to have to be the person, and in other cases, it's going to be a hybrid. But but absolutely, it's it's going to eliminate jobs. And if we're saying that it's not, we're we're kidding ourselves. It's going to eliminate some jobs, and it's going to create a bunch of others. Right. And and that's the way we need we need to look at this. Yeah, but the people who get their jobs eliminated aren't going to be qualified to do all the others in many cases. And so. You know, I mean, in some cases, you need to retrain your people and try to put them into new roles, right? And, yeah. yeah, and, and so let me give you an example. Like, I mean, let, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. I had a conversation, and I think a lot of people have with our copywriters. It's an example. So a copywriter and an industrial distributor spends um, a bunch of time writing product copy and a bunch of time also writing inspirational copy. What's going to happen? There's going to be a lot more inspirational copy out there because the product copy, which is incredibly mundane, and I don't believe copywriters really enjoy doing that. Now they're going to be able to focus on doing doing something a little bit more creative, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more challenging. So in some cases, takes away the mundane, may or may not have an impact on some jobs. In other cases, it will eliminate jobs. But in some cases, it all depends on the role and what's happening. But I think from a copywriting perspective, you know, there's such a focus on the convergence of content and commerce. And if, if I have copywriting capacity, I'm going to put them to generate content to boost SEO value, to provide customers with more information, to be able to do higher quality videos and articles and things like that. So to me, to me again, let's not kid ourselves that in some cases, the impact will be minimal. In other cases, it'll be huge. And that's one of the big sticking points with the writer strike right now, right? Writers feel really threatened by it. And, and to a certain degree, they should. Will all writers be eliminated? No. But I mean, in a future world, it'll be interesting to see what AI comes back in terms of scripts and TV shows and movies. And it'll be interesting as a consumer of this content. I'm excited to see what's going to come out of it. If I was a writer, I wouldn't be happy about it, right? Yeah, I actually, in my column, I refer to that. And I say, they're probably going to lose that battle because technology seems to win every time in the long run. And someday there'll probably be a movie about this writer's strike. And there's a pretty good chance the script will be written by AI. Yeah. Jonathan, where are you on all this? I think there are going to be jobs lost. I think the, a question, an important question for CEOs and leaders is to think about where you're getting efficiency with AI versus where you're getting effectiveness versus both. In some cases, you're going to get both. A lot of what I've heard, particularly when you think about elimination of jobs, is focus on efficiency, productivity. But there are also going to be cases where AI just outperforms, uh, where you get a better result. Like the cross-selling example is, a, is, a, is an example of where you get a better result. You also get efficiency, but you get effectiveness there. You're selling more because of yeah. the cross-selling. Your average rep now looks like your best rep, right? Um, so I think keeping both of those in mind and not just getting excited about creating more efficiency, which is a little bit where distributors go in the first place. I mean, that's if, you know, if I had to pick where they, where their minds go, it's towards efficiency. Um, I think it's important to, to keep your eye on, on both and, and 
and understand the benefits in a um in a value based scenario so yeah okay yeah i think i think you know like this has been going on for a long time i mean at the first the first strike aimed at automation was in 1675 right so we're still doing it you know 350 years later um but you know i mean like when coal miners get put out of jobs because of green energy well, there are programming jobs that are going through the roof, lots of, you know, demand for programmers, but you can't just go from coal mining to coding uh, without a lot of training. So I think, you know, being thoughtful about how we do that as a society and how, you know, businesses do that is important. Here's an example where you may see both efficiency and effectiveness. So I'm, I'm, we'll be talking about this at the conference. So optimization is, is one of the things in AI that's, that's actually been strong for a while. Um, and it's getting better because of compute power and because of machine learning. Optimization, so if we think about just planning a route of 10 places to visit, there are 3.6 million possibilities of the order of that, of, those route, of that route of the 10 places. And so AI-based solutions, AI in this case with operations research, AI slash OR solutions can generate the optimal route in very short order. And so you're getting more effectiveness in the route. Um, you're also efficient. You're also generating that route more uh, efficiently. So that's that would be an example where you're getting both. Wow. That sounds like a lot. What about um, on the supply chain side of things, Klaus? I don't know if, if what your experience is there, but it feels like in things like, you know, warehousing and, and delivery, uh, you know, yeah. I know they've got these systems that will look in the warehouse to see if people are wearing seatbelts on forklifts. And then they've got these drones that count inventory and, uh, you know, different conveyor systems. And there's there's just so much developing in that area. Do you work in that area at all? Yeah, I work some of it. I, I got familiarity uh, on the fringes of it, but uh, and I've supported supply chain systems, right? And supply chain systems have been trying to figure out how to optimize the warehouse, you know, where do you put away when product comes in? Uh, where um, what's what's going to reduce the number of uh, of feet, linear feet that the picker is traveling to pick product? Are you moving your high velocity closer to the front to minimize the amount of travel? Blah blah blah. I think that there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of vendors and systems that have been built around that. But I believe that that AI will make it better because I don't know if if, if if these systems necessarily, like the example that uh, that uh, we just heard, which was there might be 10 different routes to get the product to the loading dock, right? I mean, that's 10 factorial, 3.6 million, I think is what Jonathan said, right? So, wow, there, there's 3.6 million ways that you can get that product from the from the shelf to the to the to the to the loading dock. Have we evaluated the most efficient? Because in a big warehouse, you know, seconds count, and if you can reduce. 10 seconds from every pick, you're talking about millions of dollars, right? So yeah. I think there's a ton of opportunity in the warehouse. There's a ton of opportunity in labor optimization. Are you truly optimizing your labor, your workforce planning uh, to the to what you said? Are they wearing their seatbelts and their safety vests and steel, boat, uh, steel toed boots and everything else? It runs the gamut, but what are you going to go after first? I want to go after what's going to get that product to the customer on time by the yeah. promise date that is on the website, by the promise date that the salesperson gave that person. That's what I'm going to focus first, you know? And then I'm going to focus on, on a lot of that other stuff. But that, that's the way I would do it because that's what makes you money. That's what's going to make sure that you 
you ship before month end so you, you can book that revenue i mean we can we can go you know and that might be the other thing it's like all right today is the end of the month we're gonna pick by dollar value right? <laughs> we're gonna right. pick, you know sure. absolutely because you want to book as much revenue and the quarter you're going to be picking from the from the high to the low right because once that thing hits that loading dock you can book that revenue before the end of the close so that's the kind of stuff that AI needs to be able to do. And, you know, just imagine having that CFO being able to pull that that lever on the 30th of the month that is going to help him close his cash flow, his or her cash flow gap or whatever revenue number yeah. that they need to hit. Amazing. We, nobody does that today. Okay, that's interesting. I, we got a couple of questions queued up here, Klaus. One is getting high quality product data is the biggest challenge for distributors who are working to present a competitive e-commerce option to their customers. I'm wondering how AI could automate the process of improving and curing product data from vendors. Well, I mean, it's happening today. You go to chat GPT and you say, write me an uh, e-commerce product description for uh, weed eater and um, yeah, of this particular model number and it'll go out of the internet and do that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so right now it may not be 100% accurate, but it certainly gets you, gets you started. Right. So, um, I think that's a huge opportunity. And, and to me, that is one of my biggest pain points and level of frustration when it comes to websites. And when it comes to, you know, you need that product data for the website, you need that product data for the warehouse, you need that product data everywhere, because you need to be able to know how much it weighs so that you can pick it and you know how much room you have in the truck it goes it goes the entire from beginning to end and um product data is is a level of frustration i'm actually sitting right now at a manufacturer and on their website they make the stuff they're missing product data it's like how can you be missing it you're the manufacturer of it right and that's where you know you're going to use ai but you also need ai enabled tools right that is going to give you exception-based reporting to close that, to close that gap, to to get the data clean. All right. So here's a question for both of you uh, from Dakota. Distribution companies have complex technical jar jargon. Do distributors need to seek out uh, language models specific to them? Um, and uh, how would they train them? How long could this take? So could you do a chat GPT, something like chat GPT, that just is connected to all your data and systems and provides endless answers uh, from everything about your customers' products and transactions. Jonathan, you wanna, I've been talking a lot. You wanna take that one? Sorry, I'm coughing a little bit. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm thinking that one way of, of parsing the question is I'm in the power transmission motion control industry. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna train chat GPT on all the products from that industry. Uh, oh, I'm in the plumbing industry. I want to train ChatGPT on on all of those things. So I think there is a, I think there's an industry specific version of this. If I understand the question direct, uh, correctly, uh, and Ian, you, you've you've brought this forward about Amazon. They want to be the product expert on everything. Um, so I think I think where this goes is it develops expertise, you know, sector by sector by sector. And one of the things that then happens is right now, like solutions in that consultative part of selling is the province of humans. Um, but that's that's going to be diminishing, right? So I think once we have once the chat GPTs or similar are trained on an industry, 
they can start taking over some of that consultative function. It's easy to buy something I bought before. It's easy to buy a product category I bought before, right? A different skew within that product category. But this whole area of what has been consultative, um, I, that's where I see these language models starting to, um, to eat into what humans are doing right now. Yeah, so I, I mean, the example I used in my column was, and maybe you guys can pressure test this, is it feels like if I had a version of ChatGPT that was connected to all my systems, I could say, I could engineer a prompt that said something like, find the top 200 SKUs that are likely to show the greatest price elasticity of demand on an average 10% discount in October. For those SKUs, go to the manufacturer's websites, pull images and descriptions, um, uh, estimate additional inventory needed, take into account ship packs, play, prepare POs for the suppliers, and then lay out a draft of the promotion, pull a list of customers who are most likely to respond, the top thousand customers who are most likely to respond to this promotion. You know, you, you could basically, with the command, generate most of the content you need for a marketing campaign, including the analytics to support it. That doesn't feel like that's very far away to me. Klaus, what do you think? I don't, I, yeah, I agree 1000%. Um, definitely not far away. Um, all, all of this stuff is there. Uh, and it's a matter of getting some pretty smart CTOs and CIOs to the table, uh, some database experts, some technology experts, and, uh, and, 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 and get you making those connections. But yes, the, 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 the brain is there. So it's a, it's a matter of feeding it. Right. Yeah. And how long is it before you say, and by the way, make a 200 SKU promotion for every customer. That's unique to the customer. I mean, why not, right? Jonathan, is, is that is that did you do that kind of one-on-one -on -one mass mass one-on-one -on -one with AI pretty quickly? That feels like within this half of this decade. Wow. Right. No, I mean seriously, I mean like yeah. between now and 2025. It does not feel, you know, end of the de end of the decade or next decade. So what an advantage you're gonna have as a distributor. If you're able to do that stuff, right, and then apply that to HR and product management and operations, and you know uh, loss prevention and everything else. I'm, I mean, these technologies are incredible. Now we do have a couple of questions. Uh, Cherry wants to know what are you seeing happening with SEO and AI for distributors? Yeah, you know the SEO and AI question is a really good one, and I think that the jury is out, right? Because one of the things that we've heard anecdotally is that using chat GPT and AI to write uh, reviews or, or write product descriptions uh, will be dinged by Google. And we've asked Google directly and we don't seem to be able to get a straight answer, right? Uh, so it's just something that I think that you gotta be careful uh, and, and hopefully we, uh, so we can at some point get, a, get, a, get an answer whether or not, but I've heard, uh, yes, it, you're gonna get dinged, no, you're not. But if everybody's using it, everything's going to look the same. And I, I don't think that Google will intentionally ding you. But if, if everything looks and feels the same, you either will be rewarded or punished equally mm. by the algorithm. And what are you going to do to stand out, right? Because if everybody looks the same, what, Google is going to have to be looking at other things to, to say you, you are more relevant and bring you to the top. So proceed with care. Tread lightly is what I would recommend. Excellent. The next question, I think I think you answered this one earlier, actually, is can we teach AI to do taxonomy 
uh, categorization of product data. And here's an example from the uh, uh, valves. Looks sounds like the hydraulic valve business. Um, you know, so even if it's cryptic, right, they can, you know, what's interesting, what made me think about it's like, you know, one of the things that I've done with advanced analytics is that I've, I've been able to make a different offer in my past life. Each customer gets a different offer on your weekly email based on your customer score and your propensity to buy categories for the next 30 days. Right. But this taxonomy question, when I saw it pop up with a corner of my eye, I said, what if AI can, can build a taxonomy that is going to be each customer gets a different taxonomy based on the customer, based on, on if, if I can understand you as a customer sufficiently and think of how you think, you will present it with a taxonomy will be all, um, optimized for your navigation. So if you're an industrial distributor and as a customer, I am the buyer for conveyors and pallet jacks and shelving, my taxonomy is gonna be built around that, putting that easy for me to find the products that I'm looking for. And then you come in, and then you're more into uh, Janssen or another category, then your taxonomy will be different. So I think that AI may put taxonomy in its head rather than make it a fixed taxonomy is going to be dynamic based on each individual customer. That is mind blowing, Klaus. I mean, that yeah. that's worth the price of the entire admission today. That, that <laughs> you just had, I mean, there, there've been plenty. That one is, that one's amazing. So two wow. things, one that's brilliant. Secondly, I was just about to think of it. Well, actually, Ian had thought of it. He just wanted to. <laughs> no, just, no. Just remember, in entrepreneurship, every idea, there's 10 other people with the idea, and it's really the person that really does something about it that is going to be the <laughs> that's, I, I love that. I think that's brilliant. So it's, it's good. It takes personalization to a new level, right? Absolutely. And then, and then back to the prior question about SEO and search. So, you know, we're starting to see intelligent site search. AI-based site search, right? That's that's a thing. But then also internet uh, search, um, you know, powered by the the chat GPTs, which are a threat to the traditional Google model or Bing model or, or Yahoo, right? So we're starting to see intelligence in search, whether it's, you know, internet search or site search. And, and that's where like context comes in, right? You know, that it, it, when when you ask ChatGPT a question, it knows what you what you just asked two lines up, right? It it understands the context. Most search on the internet doesn't do that right now. You know, it doesn't it doesn't figure that out. But it's 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 going there very quickly, and it's going to get easier and easier to find things as a result. You know, you know, it's it's really interesting what you just said. Reminds me, you know, I used to work for the phone company, and you know, the yellow pages were the ultimate search engine. You know, let your fingers do the walking, and and you would find everything in the yellow pages. And then Google and Yahoo came out in, and and they became the ultimate search engine. But you know, and and you never thought the yellow pages would go away. You never think that Google and Yahoo could go away, and who knows, right? I mean, it, this is a new technology that is threatening to disrupt uh, what we've already come to think is incredibly advanced and incredibly powerful. So um, that's exciting. Yeah. Actually, fu funny footnote, I, I we had a customer that was just crushing it with the Yellow Pages, like well into the most recent decade. They were last man standing in Yellow Pages. They were it's a very successful plumbing, electrical, mechanical firm. Um, everybody else had abandoned Yellow Pages. They're selling to people with, with my hair color and your hair quantity. And, um, you know, it turned out Yellow Pages was still a thing for them. They were getting great value from that. But and then all their customers died. And then all their customers died. Exactly right. 
Yeah, there's an extinction moment. Um, all right, good. Well, Klaus, I want to wrap up here in a few minutes, but um, so you've got you've got a you got a lot of stuff you could talk about at this conference. Um, you know, what what do you think are like gonna be the three or three of the takeaways, you know, that you'll be leading towards? Well, I I don't want to give away everything. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, right, right. And, and, you just, know, just tease us, tease us. Yes, yes. But again, you know, one of the things is I said, I'm doing a tremendous amount of research to get ready for this, right? I mean, I have some background in AI, but I really wanted to bring a lot of value. So there's first of all, you know, you're gonna be able to get in a very short period of time, you know, probably, you know dozens of hours of research and telephone calls and reading that is going to help. But I, I will focus on kind of what are the low-hanging fruit. Again, the opportunities in order for you to build momentum organizationally, you want to show either incremental revenue or cost savings, right? So to me, it's focus on what are the what are the areas of the business that you can tackle to build momentum, to build respect and credibility, and then the other stuff can come afterwards, right? So to me, go after the low-hanging fruit, Go after the things that are going to get everybody's attention and then be thoughtful and disciplined. And again, personalization, e-commerce, you know, customer service. Those are the areas that I believe um, um, you need to be looking at first and, and supply chain, of course, right? So supply chain, customer service, personalization, and e-commerce. And then you can go from there. Fantastic. Um, Jonathan, And we're going to unpack that, right? I mean, that's, yes. that's the headline, but we're going to unpack that in a couple of weeks in Chicago, in a few weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you want to join us at the conference, and believe me, you do, go to distributionstrategy.com. There's a top banner here. You can get more information and sign up for the conference there. We do have a couple of other events coming up from Distribution Strategy Group. On August 30th, tomorrow, we have Ryan Lee, the founder and CEO of Nautical Commerce, and Tracy Bilo, who's the VP of Category Management at Zorro on a technology leader panel about marketplace tools and strategies. Marketplaces are a big, big deal in distribution. They're growing share. This is a great way to get some information about your make, buy, or both decision because these are experts who can uh, really provide some deep insights. On September on September 7th, so a little more than a week away, uh, Jonathan, you're going to be moderating this uh, conversation. Between We actually have uh, three panelists now, so we've added a third one on September 7th. How to make your CRM initiative successful. Uh, Stephanie Kuntz, who's Director of Marketing for Palmer Donovan, will be on the panel. Tara Nebel, or Nebel, I'm not sure. Do you know? Okay. Uh, Head of Enterprise CRM for Chadwell Supply will be on the panel. Um, and uh, then Dana, uh, Lingard. Dana Lingard, right, who uh, was recently with AZP. Uh, will be on the panel as well. That's uh, the that's sponsored by White Cup, who's a you know one of our uh, ongoing sponsors. We really appreciate their support. So, uh, gentlemen, this has been great. I, uh, this is going to be an absolutely compelling discussion uh, in Chicago. Klaus, thanks for supporting the event. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody out there. Yeah, me too. Jonathan, great working with you today. Jens, Thank it's been you. great talking with you. We'll see you in a little over a month in Chicago. Uh, and so. Thanks, everyone, for joining us in a wholesale change. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.